This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm your host, Sid Evans. And today I'm talking with a couple of sisters who first came to our offices for an interview more than 10 years ago. Megan and Rebecca Lovell grew up in Calhoun, Georgia, with music all around them, though they were the first in their family to play professionally. They began their career performing a lot of acoustic bluegrass music as the Lovell Sisters. But since 2010, they've been the driving force behind the blues and rock-oriented Larkin Poe. Both have become known for their musicianship, their energetic shows, and a fierce independent streak that comes through in everything they do. We'll talk about their musical life together, their latest album, Blood Harmony, and why they named their band after a distant relative on this week's Biscuits and Jam. Rebecca and Megan Lovell of Larkin Poe, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Thank you for having us. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. So listen, y'all are on a very short list of people who were part of the incarnation of Biscuits and Jam back in 2012, which is kind of amazing to think about. But I remember that y'all came to the office in Birmingham and we shot a video of you performing a couple songs. Y'all remember that? I do. Yes. <laughs> yes. We were so little. And I, if I remember correctly, I don't know if it made a feature in the video, but I was experimenting with wearing a hat. And so I'm looking back. It's like, oh, baby. Oh, baby. It's very sweet to actually very distinctly remember that experience. And here we are still doing the thing. I know. Well, we decided to turn it into a podcast uh, back in 2020 and kind of bring the idea of Biscuits and Jam back. We always love the name. So here we are. But y'all are kind of the OG when it comes to Biscuits and Jam. <laughs> hey, in many senses of the word, we love us some Biscuits and Jam IRL and the idea of y'all's Biscuits and Jam. It's good to be back. So we were actually serving biscuits that day and you sang a couple songs and I went and looked them up and one was called My Home and another one was called On the Fritz. Oh my gosh. And you were all acoustic at that point and very bluegrass focused, which is not your focus now. So was there a moment when you kind of decided to go electric or was that more of a a transition? You know, we did grow up playing a lot of bluegrass and our first band was called the Lovell Sisters. That's the first time that we actually started touring and we played bluegrass music, no drums, all acoustic. And then our older sister, who was also playing with us in that band, she decided to leave. And so that left Rebecca and I with an opportunity to look at ourselves. And we started Larkin Poe. And very early on in Larkin Poe's, when we would have come and done Biscuits and Jam, and we were still experimenting with wanting to plug in and wanting to incorporate drums because there was so much more to us than just being acoustic. We grew up listening to a lot of classic rock records being spun for us as kids that we just adored. And 
that's always been in our blood. So that's an element of us that we wanted to bring in at some point. So I think it would have been fairly soon after 2012 that we would have started to plug in and play with drums. Well, you are definitely plugged in now. And I want to get to your music in a minute. But what a sound you guys have created. It's really something. And you still hear some of that bluegrass, you know, the roots of where y'all came from, but just so much bigger when it comes to your sound. All right. I want to get the voices straight. So Megan, I'll start with you. Mm -hmm. You grew up on a farm in Calhoun, Georgia, which isn't too far from Chattanooga, right? Right. It's about halfway in between Chattanooga and Atlanta. Okay. So can you kind of paint a picture of that property for me? I mean, what did it look like when you were driving down the driveway? So Calhoun is a very small, small town. And we lived on the outskirts of Calhoun. So very, very rural country roads. We would drive up to our driveway and then our house was set back off the road about a mile on a gravel road. And we lived on 70 acres of land, mostly wooded in some fields. And Rebecca and I were tomboys. We loved to run around in the woods and build forts. We had a very idyllic childhood in a lot of ways. Very Huck Finn. <laughs> so, Rebecca, your sister is a couple years older than you. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We're just under two years apart. Was she ever mean to you? No. I think that we have had periods of time in which we've been mean to each other, but somewhat interestingly, not until later in life. I think we've always been the best of friends, but in our late teens, early 20s, actually when we sort of were at the beginning of Lark and Poe, I think that we went through some time where we could be pretty efficiently mean to each other in ways that really hurt. <laughs> but I, I do feel lucky that at this point, we've pushed through some of those rocky patches together. And I think that we've improved our communication. I don't think that there's anything that I can imagine encountering that could ever separate our relationship or challenge our relationship. Yeah, because we've always been a package deal. Even growing up, always the girls. We were never separate, always together. <laughs> and, uh, and as you can imagine, like, continuing into our adulthood, it's kind of hard to grow up on top of somebody else, especially being that we own a business together. We travel the world, we get to create music. Like there's a lot, we it's a very complicated relationship. Yeah, there's a lot of weight placed on it. And also the less any of the listeners, because our voices are also very, very similar too. So it's going to be, it's always challenging to distinguish which sister is speaking. I don't know. I think I got it. You have your unique voices. <laughs> so what are some of the ways that you're similar and some ways that you're different? We are very similar in work ethic and similar in musical interests. I think in terms of our leadership styles, we are very different. How would you compare our communication skills with each other? Well, I think that we actually do puzzle piece together quite well because like I'm more reserved, more introspective. I can be quite shy, whereas Rebecca is quite outgoing and eloquent and can immediately connect with people, whereas it might take me longer to do so. I feel thankful for the similarities, which are that we know what we want to do with our music and we're very much on the same page. And that's necessary. I don't know how it would work if we didn't mm -hmm. have similar goals. And I can be very much like the big picture person and Megan is our researcher. Megan gets into the details and that definitely saves our bacon, having both of us involved. 
You Uh, need both. We need both. Exactly. (laughs) And learning to like celebrate the differences has really been the work of our early 20s. And we're just now like starting to harvest fruit from that. And I feel really lucky because Lord have mercy. There were some fraught times in our early 20s. (laughs) Well, so do y'all have a lot of family back in Georgia? We do. Yeah, a lot of cousins, a lot of aunts and uncles on both sides, big families. And do you get back to Calhoun ever and perform? I think this is true. Check me. The last time we played Calhoun was our farewell concert as the Level Sisters back in like 2009. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So we haven't performed, but we still identify very much as being proud of being from Calhoun and additionally, the fact that Calhoun now has a bookies. Oh, boy. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Calhoun's getting very big for its britches. What can we say? So were your folks into music? As listeners, big time. As concert goers, big time. As making music themselves, no. Our mom has an incredible voice, and she grew up singing harmonies with her siblings. And she taught us to sing harmony together. And then she drove us like three times a week to lessons on piano and violin and orchestra. So they were very involved and very into music. And I mean, always records playing in the background. But we're the first generation to like make music. And we hope that that's something that starts with us and continues for our families. But they were playing a huge variety of music, you know, everything from folk to bluegrass to world music, classic rock, hard rock, classical music. They were very diverse listeners. Yeah, Yanni to Queen to the Carpenters. So maybe a little bit more so than their neighbors in Calhoun. I think that that's a safe assumption. Yeah, big time. And it was really interesting, too, to be able to have parents that were both in the medical field. Our father was a practicing pathologist and our mom was an occupational therapist. And for them to not only allow, but also be pretty supportive of us pursuing music for a living. I think ultimately they've raised us to be very strong-headed and to do what it is that we want to do and to steer by our own stars. Like that was a given. So I think at a certain point, maybe they realized that like anything that they were going to say wasn't going to dissuade or persuade us otherwise. But a very unique situation for them to have let us not go to college and to instead tour and start this small business together. (laughs) Well, it is really remarkable what you have done. And I want to talk about this a little more in a minute, but just the way that you've charted your own path. You haven't been tied to the industry in the ways that a lot of artists are. And I feel like you made some decisions very early on in your career that you were going to kind of do it your own way. You're going to make the music that you wanted to make and you were going to tour the way that you wanted to tour. Is that fair to say? Yeah. We've been fairly independent our entire career. It's been amazing to hold the reins. I think having an independent mindset, it does put more pressure on the artist without the big team that a label provides. Everybody has to work quite a bit harder. But it's also very freeing to be able to do what you want, when you want, to record the songs that are meaningful to us, that we've written, to not have people writing for us, to be able to find our own way. It's been wonderful for us. 
I think it's made it a longer road. I think we've really needed to take that time to develop ourselves, to find our voice. Because we do have a lot of musical interests, that means we've sort of meandered quite a few different paths. But I think once we were kind of established in our own voices, we're able to have a much stronger connection to not only our music, but to what our music does. The people that our music is connecting to, social media, it's very, very meaningful to us. It means a whole lot. And that's wonderful. It's very real and organic. Yeah. So I want to talk about food for a minute. And there were four of you, right? Including your brother who came along a little later. So a lot of mouths to feed. Who was the cook in the family? Definitely mom. And she's a great cook. She would always have these sort of Martha Stewart spreads. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And she still cooks that way. It makes me think of the chick's song, Mama's Still Cooking Too Much for Supper and Me, I've Been a Long Time Gone. It's the same. She'll lay out the green beans almondine, and then it's the cauliflower mix and the succotash and the pasta salad and the salmon and the filet. It's such a passion for her. So we ate really good coming up and a lot of traditional Southern food as well. So, yeah, what are some other dishes that kind of make you think of home? Definitely biscuits and gravy. That's a biggie. Cheese grits is a biggie. Our mom makes the most bomb cheese grits where it's like three different types of cheese and enough paprika to like drown a horse. And it's just awesome. Delicious, delicious. Also, sliced tomatoes with a lot of salt on them. Mm. Classic. That's hard to beat. To that. me, that is yeah, that's like a beat. very southern dish to me. And especially right now, here we are at the tail end of summer. It's early September. You got to get those tomatoes while you can. Oh yeah, because now is when they're the most sun sweet, delicious, especially the heirloom stuff. But yeah, like just a tomato sandwich. So do y'all live pretty close in Nashville? We do. Yeah. Megan lives maybe 15 minutes south of downtown. Okay. Yeah. So it's, she's got some acres out here. She sort of recreated the childhood scene. <laughs> and then my husband and I, we live a little closer up into town, close to the airport. Okay. Gotcha. But we're, you know, 10, 15 minutes apart. Yeah. So which one of you is the better cook? Probably Megan. I wouldn't say either of us are particularly that great. I think we can... <laughs> Do an okay job in the kitchen. I think having a touring itinerant lifestyle, it's left the two of us not entirely domesticated. We're working on it. We're working on it. We have aspirations. And I think that we have good instincts in the kitchen, but I typically remember that cooking is a thing when I'm ravenous. So then <laughs> I have to just get food in me immediately or everyone will die. So that sort of limits my options on thoughtfully and lovingly preparing a meal. <laughs> When we're on tour, we cook a lot by assembling a wrap. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sandwiches. That's about the extent. Yeah. Well, that's something. So you look forward to getting back to the home cooking every now and then. Yeah. I think being out on the road, you really start to appreciate the little routines that you get to participate in at home, like cooking the meal and washing the dishes and putting them away. These are things that when you're on the road a lot, you don't experience it. I do think about the meals that I would like to cook when I'm home, whether or not it will actually happen. I don't know, but I do think a lot about what I would love to cook in the kitchen yeah. on a long tour. 
Do y'all go back to Georgia for the holidays or are you usually in Nashville? It depends. We both have in-laws. I married a Texan and she married a Virginian. So it's sort of like the rolling of the dice as to who gets to be where and when. But there's, there's nothing sweeter than getting to be in Georgia. I think most likely Thanksgiving will happen down in Georgia this year. And that will be really, really sweet. But I think very soon, it seems that our folks are maybe going to be moving Nashville way. So then all of our family will kind of be in Nashville, our immediate family. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be able to have our nice Nashville holidays. Wow, that would be great. Mm-hmm. After the break, I'll talk more with Rebecca and Megan Lovell about Larkin Poe, the great-great-great-great-grandfather who inspired the band's name and their fiery new album, Blood Harmony. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken, a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with Megan and Rebecca Lovell, the driving force behind the band known as Larkin Poe. Well, y'all are so family-oriented, and that really goes to the roots of the band and the name of the band. I mean, you're named after a distant great-grandfather who I think was a cousin of Edgar Allan Poe. How did y'all discover that? And what was it about that name that just kind of sounded right to you? Yeah, since we were the Lovell sisters, when we split off became Lark and Poe, Rebecca and I were discussing the name and we didn't know we wanted to take on a name that had family significance to us, ideally. And Lark and Poe was our great, 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 great grandfather. We had heard his name kind of on the lips of relatives and We thought it sounded really cool, and we kind of liked the idea of having some family lore behind our name. We love to think about what Larkin Poe might have thought about his name being printed on t-shirts around the world. It's a pretty interesting thing to think about. And he was a cousin of Edgar Allan Poe, so we'll take that distant connection. Have you learned anything else about him in terms of just, I don't know, what he did for a living or... Yeah, there's a good bit of information. Actually, the family home that he shared, I believe he died in that home. It's actually still preserved as part of the Chickamauga battlefield in northern Georgia. And so folks can actually go and see where our family lived for 
generations, I believe, until it was turned into a historic marker. In terms of his life experience, there are family stories that are passed down about him where he was a very fiery individual. Um, I think it's important to note that mental illness does run in our family. And there were potentially some signs of just something a little extra going on with Larkin. Just some really like crazy erratic stories. I think it creates the opportunity for empathy as well, because you think about individuals of our family who are incredibly intelligent and stuck in grinding poverty and definitely subsistence farming, ways of life that we can't even begin to relate to. But again, I think being able to carry on a, a new chapter of the greater family story by naming the band after him felt significant to us. And whether or not consciously, it is absolutely informed the songwriting and the, the storytelling and the ways that we have created narration for our musical journey up to this point. And I'm very, very grateful for the experience. I mean, you know, we were 1920 when we named the band and we felt like we really put a lot of thought into it, but realistically we were flying by the seat of our pants. So really for being a decision that we made when we were very young, it served us well. Sure has. Well, you know, you talk about some of that mental illness running in the family and y'all wrote a song called Mad as a Hatter years ago. And there's a video of you performing it on YouTube that has about 10 million views. It's a remarkable performance, and it's about your grandfather who had schizophrenia. Was he someone that you were close to? We were as close to him as his condition could allow, which is to say not very close. So that song, do you remember how that came to be or where you guys were when you wrote it? I think I would have been 16 or 17 when I wrote that song. And it came from a very unguarded place. And I actually really respect my young self for going there creatively, for writing that song. Because I think me now, even with the amount of time that we've spent out on the road and giving interviews and performing, there is a certain amount of callus that can build up emotionally that needs to be addressed. Because the art that really resonates with people is highly personal art. And I think that that song has really served as a great point of connection for us to people because it's a very intimate song. And I wrote that at a time when I was dealing with some depression. I felt very unmoored in my life. I think I did feel conflicted about about what, what we were going to do with our lives. And it really it wasn't lost, even on our young selves at that point in time, the risks that we were taking and pursuing making music for a living because it's such a crapshoot and being able to look inward and just feel those feelings of uncertainty, obviously being a doctor's kid as well, you're privy to other information about mental illness and specifically schizophrenia, skipping a generation and feeling like that was sort of a knife or an ax like hovering above your head at any point in time. Like, hey, am I acting crazy right now is what I'm saying rational and healthy. And the you conversations know? this song has started for us yeah. has been life-changing, especially in our 30s now. I think that we understand even more how scary mental health can actually be and how important it is to talk about. And it's been really, really meaningful for people to hear that song and they find something of themselves in it and something of their fears in it. 
And then we can have these really emotional conversations with people that just wouldn't have happened otherwise. It's like it's opened up a door for us to be able to talk about these things and talk about ourselves and in a way that's really, really intimate and amazing. And to be able to do that with somebody who would otherwise have been a stranger makes a huge difference in our lives. y'all still perform that song? We routinely perform that song. We get a lot of requests for that song. I feel like I'm a very optimistic individual, but I can be a little bit skeptical. So whether or not I believe in serendipity or coincidence or like foreshadowing in someone's life, but I do think that in Larkin Poe, even beginning with the name to writing a song like Mad as a Hatter, there is a sense of like a harbinger of things to come. That does sort of deepen my own spiritual leanings when we are able to bring the song forward by almost a decade and a half at this point and have it still be relevant and have it still be a part of me and Megan. And now at this point, our fan base, it's a very special connection. You know, you two have really traveled quite a road together. And I was thinking about the sibling duos that are out there. And there aren't a lot of sister duos who have really made it in this business. I mean, there's some brothers who come to mind, you know, Almond Brothers, David Brothers, Brothers Osborne. <laughs> and I'm sure that there are some I'm not thinking of, but are there things that make it difficult to have a lasting band as sisters? Well, first in our genre and line of work, there just aren't as many women, mm-hmm. just in general. And then adding on top of that being sisters, having two siblings that can not only work together, but also have the same things that they want to do with their lives. I think it would be pretty difficult to find that. The ones that come to mind are Heart and yeah. First Aid Kit. And yep. there are others, of course. There are others. But yeah, they are kind of few and far between. I think being able to be a woman in the music industry, it is interesting especially based on how long we've been touring and performing and making records, to see the slow shift. When we were touring at the jump, going to a lot of roots or blues or rock and roll festivals, not as many female artists, but now here we are 15 years later, and it is so much more equal in terms of the gender split on festival bills, which I think is fantastic because... We have to believe it for it to become true. And so to be able to have women out on the road challenging gender stereotypes and challenging this pull to conform to gender ideals, we run into male musicians who are like, yeah, my wife's at home with the kids. Like, that's such a common story. And very rarely do you run across women who are touring and who also choose to then have families and to tour. So there are, I think, extra layers of complexity that attach to women being in bands, to leading bands, to producing records, to mastering records, to anything to do with the music industry. So much more challenging for women to be in these roles because there is an appropriate representation. 
And I think the fact that we have been able to endure this journey together, it's a very hard won victory for us and something that we cherish because it really is a unique testament to the strength of our relationship and also the strength of our belief in self and also the strength of belief in our fans that we have people who have literally been with us from the beginning that will still buy our records. And they are literally putting their money where their mouth is and betting on what cool thing we're going to do next. And so when you have people that will believe in you to that extent, that will buy tickets for the 20th time to come out and see your show, it's challenging to explain how much that means to us and how much it makes you want to keep going. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you clearly have a loyal fan base and you just keep coming out with exciting music for them to listen to. And I think that builds that loyalty. So we just need you to come to Birmingham more often. I know, know, right? (laughs) I know. We will. It's been a while. (laughs) So Megan, I got to ask you about the instrument that you play. You're a dobro player which is an instrument that you play on your lap, or in your case, you play an electric version Mm -hmm. of the dobro, which is basically like a lap steel. I can't think of many people who do that, if any. So I'm just wondering if there was someone who inspired you to play that way, or did you kind of make up your own path? Yeah. So I started on dobro first, and that was really inspired by Jerry Douglas. Jerry Douglas is an amazing dobro lap steel slide player. He featured a lot with Allison Krauss in Union Station. That's originally where we were listening and really soaking in the sounds of a dobro. And then I saw a dobro being played for the first time at a bluegrass festival. And that connected the dots for me because I did try to play guitar And we grew up playing violin, so I always was used to playing fretless. So for me, frets didn't really quite work, so the slide was perfect. It was the sound that I was searching for. And when we started Larkin Poe, we were going to plug in, it was really the obvious choice for me to switch to the lap steel, which is basically like the electrified dobro. So it's kind of played in a similar way, where normally it's played on the lap, I don't, I couldn't bear to sit on stage. So I actually had a family friend help me build a holder for the lap steel that I was playing at the time where I could stand and play. But it's different from a pedal steel in that way. A pedal steel is meant to be played sitting down with pedals that manipulate the strings. This is like a simpler version of a pedal steel and less common, I would say. Although not as uncommon as you would think, I think people are actually listening to the sounds of the lap steel and probably not aware that they are. Like, for instance, Running on Empty, Jackson Brown, has this really iconic screaming guitar part solo, and that's actually a lap steel. And I don't know that a lot of people would know that there was a difference between a regular guitar being played with a slide and a lap steel, which is a completely different instrument. It's played sideways with the strings raised up and you're playing with a bar and finger picks, not fretted like a guitar is. So yeah, I play the lap steel. At this point in time, I've actually designed my own lap steel so that I can more easily stand and play on stage because I just think it's a very versatile instrument. And I'm hoping that more and more people come to it and make it more common. 
Well, it really comes out on this new album, and it's called Blood Harmony, and it is this big rocking record with some great songs, great guitar playing, great lap steel playing, and a lot of energy, and it really could not be more different than the band that I heard 11 years ago in this (laughs) office. Um, I want to ask you about that title track and how that came together. Blood Harmony was actually one of the last songs to really be written for the record. But I think in our hearts, we knew that that was going to be an important song for the record. We knew that we wanted the body of work to sort of exist under that title, Blood Harmony, because it does so closely summarize our thing. As sisters growing up, making music together, something that is very second nature in our relationship, our creative connection is the gift that keeps on giving. It's so easy for us to create together most of the time and to read each other's minds creatively. And to call that blood harmony felt very right. So a lot of the songs for Blood Harmony were co-written between Megan and I, and they all came together over the span of maybe a month and a half. And of course... Wow, that's quick. Yeah, it was very quick. But the most stubborn song, the song that took the longest was, of course, Blood Harmony. It was a very deceptively challenging song to write um, because I do think it represents something for our mother, especially, who can sometimes be a little bit of the unsung hero in our family. Our mom is incredibly strong and optimistic and we love her so much. I've written a lot of songs for my dad over the years being the bona fide daddy's girl. But to finally write a song for her that felt true was really, really important. And the backbone of the song really came to be a few months before we actually started writing for the record. There was a phone conversation that my mom and I had talking about the passage of time and the quantum creepiness of humans' ability to perceive time as it passes. And the fact that music is really one of the most beautiful representations of preceding the passage of time. When you listen to a song, you are having to be in the moment to listen to the music and able to remember what's come before in order to then attach meaning to what's coming next with the chorus or the next line of the song or the next chord that it really sums up, that music and songs in particular sum up so much of the human experience. And it was a really, really emotional conversation. And I sort of squirreled it away in my notebook and was like, all right, I'm going to write that eventually. And finally got back around to it. And it was so stubborn to pull out because it did mean so much. And I'm very grateful that it ultimately did come out. It's a very, very sweet album for us. Definitely our favorite album to date. I hope your mom likes it. Yeah, we all cried and listened to the song together. <laughs> and she sang on the song, too, which was... Oh, she did. Yeah. Very special. She's in the background zone. We did like a choir of just the three of us singing it. It was very special. Another moment of like when we're talking about those harbingers or like serendipity, our parents decided to come up to the studio on the last day of recording. And literally the last thing that was to be done was to do the harmony vocals on Blood Harmony. And it was like, well, you're here, mom. So like... You want to just come in the vocal booth? She didn't want to do it. She She didn't want to do it. I I don't think I can. We're like, you can. Like, you can and and you should. (laughs) And everyone was like, you really should, Mom. So she came in and tracked with us. What's her name? Teresa. What a great story. That must have meant so much. 
Yeah, it meant a lot to all of us. I want to ask y'all about one more song on the album, and it's called Georgia Off My Mind, which I love. I love that title, especially given where you're from. And it's definitely got an edge to it. What was on your mind when you wrote that song? I think songwriters have an obsession with trying to be uber clever when they write songs. Like when somebody makes a clever turn of phrase, like, and I'm so high, but I'm low because I lost you. Like conflicting ideas and everyone's like, songwriting, yeah. (laughs) To be honest, the seed of that song was very much in that spirit where it was like, what if we wrote a song called Georgia Off My Mind? And we're like, that would be so clever and like fun. But then it actually went a really real place. I actually co-wrote that one with my husband, who's a really talented songwriter and... We were just playing around with the idea and it really wrote itself in probably about 15 minutes. We were just toying with the idea. But then once we really settled on it being a fun idea to write a song called Georgia Off My Mind, the picture was very obvious to paint. And it was about Megan and I making that leap to move from Georgia to Tennessee, which felt like a really big deal. Megan moved up here first and then I followed. And it did feel like a turning point in our career and in our intentions and really coming into our adulthood. So I think a lot of that energy is kind of wrapped up in that song and it's a fun one to sing. And now it has another meaning if your folks are thinking about moving up to Tennessee. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> should point that out to them. <laughs> so do y'all hear from a lot of young women who want to play this kind of music? I mean, you are both incredibly accomplished musicians, not just songwriters, but performers, and you're playing a kind of bluesy music that is just not that common among women artists. It's increasingly more so, but I'm wondering if you really are hearing from people who are just inspired by what you're doing and who want to talk to you about it. Yeah, I do think the best thing about social media is precisely that point of connection. We see so many young women who will learn our guitarists on guitar. And that is deeply gratifying because like you say, increasingly it's a lot more common to see women picking up a guitar and accompanying themselves. Even from when we were children, being able to have more Bonnie Raitt's, more Susan Tedeschi's, more Joan Jett's, more Cheryl Crow's. This is definitely a huge part of our mission statement as a band and incredible to see the small impact that we might have on some of the young women around us. It's wonderful. 
Well, Rebecca and Megan, I just have one more question for you. What does it mean to you to be Southern? Rebecca, I'll start with you. What does it mean to be Southern? Here, I know she's cooking up some eloquent answer, and then I'm going to be next and be like, no, no, honestly, actually, I was railing against trying to be all meta about it. I mean, honestly, go there. I love you. Don't resist. Just go there. I love you so much. Actually, we were just playing around with this Mad Libs poem creation thing. And it was like, you write a poem and you're prompted these certain things, and it's, it's like a creative tool to say who you are in a more unique way than just telling people what you do or how old you are. And I was really surprised in creating the Mad Libs how much my Southerness really came out. And I think that for me, my Southerness manifests in the connection to family, in the connection to family history, in the connection to nature, in the connection to magnolias and rhododendron and the Smoky Mountains and red clay. These are things that are prominently featured in my memories of childhood, of being able to have a rural upbringing and tough feet like a tomboy and the ability to just play in a creek. I feel so blessed to be able to have that type of childhood to look back on. False or not, like definite mixed bag, but it, it was a very wholesome way of identifying my Southerness. So that's a very messy, jumbled way of answering that question, as well as cornbread and pinto beans. <laughs> Don't forget the cornbread. <laughs> Megan, what about you? Southerness to me is the music of this area because these handful of states have produced some of the most amazing music in the world. And it has reached across the globe. A lot of pain and suffering has been born in this area. And that has also led to some incredibly moving pieces of art. So I feel that I am looking backwards, feeling grateful for those who came before, who created beauty in music, and that we've been able to tap into that history and to tap into that art and be able to use that to connect to the future. So I think it's connecting to the past in order to connect to the future in a more beautiful way. See, she was all, I was going to be done. No, <laughs> love that. Thank you, Megan. <laughs> Beautifully said, both of you, Rebecca and Megan of Larkin Poe. Thanks for being on Biscuits and Jam again. Thank you for having, having us. Sid. It's good to be back. Yes. We'll do it again sometime. Yeah. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Rebecca and Megan Lovell of Larkin Poe. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And as always, we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. I hope you'll join us next week for my conversation with the author of a new book called Heirloom Rooms and the three-time guest of this program, Aaron Napier. We'll see you then. Thank you.